Hey, it's Cody Woodard, pastor of Renovation Church in Gallatin, Tennessee. Thank you so much for checking out our podcast today. I hope this message encourages you, challenges you, and helps you see that God wants to do something new in and through your life. Enjoy the message. Come on, anybody thankful to be in the house today? Amen. Hey, y'all give it up one more time for our first-time guest. So glad you would spend some time with us if I haven't had the opportunity to meet you. My name's Cody. I'm the pastor here, and just an honor that you would, you would spend some time with us and hang out. We are in week two of my city, my responsibility, and uh, this past week is the devastation hit Nashville and Lebanon and Mount Juliet and Cookville. Uh, man, I'm just so grateful that we have people who um, take responsibility, not just of our town, but of our city. Amen. Put your hands together if everybody went out and served over the past couple of days. We're going to be keeping you updated on how you can get involved and serve our community. But if you're new, last week we started this series called My City, My Responsibility, and we took a look at Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 13, where Jesus begins his Sermon on the Mount. And he says that you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? Turn to your neighbor and tell them, say, be salty. We talked about being salty. We talked about being salty, that the reality is, is that salt is only good when it's scattered, and God calls us to go into the earth to bring healing and to preserve life and to just make it better. And so one of the things I talked about was that we're not just saved from our past, but we're saved for a purpose. Amen? And that if we continue to miss the, the mission that God has put us on, that the world will miss the message. And that God is calling you and I to be salty, that he says we're to go to the earth, and he says that the plan isn't for someone to reach everyone, the plan is for everyone to reach someone. And so we talked about being salty, and I want to continue in this passage, starting in verse 14, it says this, it says, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and gives light to everyone in the house. So if you're taking notes today and you want to write down the title of this message, The title is God's plan. Not like Drake's God's plan, like God's plan. That the church, that the light of the world, that the church is not just a man-made idea, but it's a God idea. And that it's God's plan to let the world know about his love and grace and hope found only in Jesus. Amen? Amen. Can I pray for us? Father, thank you so much for this morning. God, I thank you for the people in this room. God, may you speak today. And God, may you remove any distractions that may be in our way to keep us from hearing you and seeing you clearly. God, you say that if we seek you with our whole heart, that we will find you, as Jeremiah tells us. And so, God, right now we are, we are seeking you with our heart, that we didn't just come to play some church games, God, we came to encounter you. And so, Father, fall in this place today, God, we ask that you would do the work only you can do. In Jesus' name, everybody said, Amen. Amen. Well, hey, let me read verse 14 again. I'm just going to dive in. Is that okay? Y'all ready for the word? All right, verse 14. Here's what it says. It says that you are the light of the world. Say light. You're the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. So here's Jesus as he opens his Sermon on the Mount, and he begins to paint this picture for the crowds of people and for his followers. And he's He says that you are the light of the world, a town built on a hill. It's a metaphor that Jerusalem is a town that they're familiar with, that they're in, that literally sits on a hill. And the imagery he's trying to paint and help them understand is that you and I, that they are called to be a light. 
so that when people are traveling through the desert and they're far off and it's dark and they can't see where they need to go, that we would be like a city on a hill lit up so that people can find hope, so that people can find peace, so they can find protection. Turn to the person next to you and tell them, get lit. <laughs> now, Friday night lit. Get, get lit. He says that you and I are the light of the world. This is a picture of the, the city, the new Jerusalem, that you and I together are, are called to be a light. And then verse 15 says this, Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. How many of you know the song, This Little Light of Mine? Come on. I'm going to let it shine, this little light of mine. All right, we're going to stop. We're going to stop. Y'all going to get too excited up in here. It says, this little this light of mine that we are called to be the light. And so here's what I have for you. How many of you know what this is? It's a light bulb. Good job waking you up. Now, how many of you know who made the light bulb? I'm so glad. Somebody said Abraham Lincoln last, last service. I'm like, you can't be on the finance team. You got to be a greeter or something, you know. Thomas Edison is an Edison bulb, and the purpose of this bulb is to be lit, right? That this bulb in and of itself has no power, but it has the potential to be light in a dark room. And so Jesus is calling you and I that if we are in Christ, that we are called to be a light. But then the problem is that this light doesn't have power, and so it has to be connected to something that does. Now, this is a, it's a lampstand. And this lampstand doesn't have power in and of itself. This lampstand, uh-oh, is simply a conductor. It's just a conductor that allows the light to be lit. But the key to this lampstand, the key to the power is that it's connected into the source. And so what I'm trying to get you to understand is that you and I are the light, that God is the source, and that the church is the conductor. And so what I want you to, 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 to get out of this is that you can, you can be a Christian and not go to church, but you will never become all God's called you to be in isolation. That you and I have no power unless we are connected to God, and God's plan to connect people to himself is through the church. And so what happens is, is when, you, when you plug in the light to the, to the church, guess what's going to happen? Come on, abracadabra. It lights up. Why? Because it's plugged in. Somebody say plugged in. You got to get plugged in. And I hear people, like, what are you saying, Cody? Are you saying that you, you, you got to go to church to be a Christian? No, I'm not, I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is you'll never live up to your potential alone. That God's plan for your life is to be plugged in, to be connected to him through his local church to his body I mean it's kind of like if if I uh if I told Jessica I said hey babe um we're gonna be married but here's the deal we're just not gonna live together that don't work how many of you know this hopefully none of you right why because you her and I are in a relationship we're connected we're we're plugged in together and a lot of times what we want to do is we'll say things like I love God but I don't like his church that's like you telling me that you love me but don't like my wife. And if you tell me you don't like my wife, I'm not going to like you too much. Why? Because her and I are, we're connected. That, that God wants you and I to live our life connected through his body. It's as if you and I are an arm. And, and here's the reality. This is an arm. 
but this arm can't function unless it's connected to the body. Are you tracking with me? So God is trying to get us to understand that we are the light of the world, but in order to shine the brightest, in order to become who he's called us to be, you got to get plugged in. you got to get plugged into his church. And, you know, it used to bother me when people would start talking bad about the church, and they'd be like, I don't really like the church, you know. And I'm like, well, why is that? And I'm like, well, it's just a bunch of hypocrites. And it's, it's messy, and it's power-hungry, and it's broken. And, you know, and it used to bother me, and I understand what they're saying, but it used to bother me until I read this passage. And he says that you were the light of the world, that if the church is like a city on a hill. How many of you know that people only throw shade on things that shine? And so it's okay if, if everyone doesn't understand what this is really about. Because to be honest with you, this whole concept of church has become confusing, has it not? That the reality is if we were to go around this room and I was to ask everybody to define the church or to describe the church, whether you're saved or unsaved, churched, unchurched, no matter what your background is, we would probably all have different responses, would we not? Some of us would say, how do you describe the church? How do you define it? He would say, well, the church is like what I'm in right now. You know, the church is it's a building. It's a place that Christians go or religious people go to worship their, their God. Some of you would describe the church like it's my family. Like the church is my community. Those are my, those are my people. And the reality, there's even Christians who would then describe the church and say, yeah, but it's hypocritical. And it's, it's messy and it's a cult and it's after your money and it's power hungry and it's manipulative. And let me just say this, though the church may be broken, God still calls it beautiful. That, that the church may be broken, but Jesus said that it was worth his body being broken for it. That, that the church is the bride of Christ. This is where we get the picture of, of marriage. So Jesus refers to his church as his bride. And so you and I are a part of the body of Christ. Somebody say brighter together. Say brighter together. And, and here's what happens sometimes, right? I'll also get this response. Let me think about this. Um, what I'll get sometimes is people will say, well, listen. You know, I ain't got a problem. I get it. I know I need people. I know I need to be plugged in. I know I need community and be connected and all that. But I don't really need the church. I got my own people. And so you got your own people, and you're like, yeah, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to get plugged into a, a local church. I'm just going to hang out with my friends. The problem is, is that you can be the same bulb on the same stand. The problem is, is that if it ain't plugged in, it don't work. A lot of times the reason why we're broken, the reason why we fail, the reason why we have such a hard time is because we, we are plugged in. We just plugged into somebody who ain't connected to the right source. And, and so we'll be connected and we'll be like, oh, I don't need them. I got my own friends. But that's why we continue to fail because there ain't no life in this. You can never be who God's called you to be without being connected to his church. And so the reality is, is that over time, this idea of church has been so convoluted and messed up, and we define it so differently. And, and, and the reason why is because early on, this concept of church, which comes from the word ecclesia, say ecclesia, it meant the gathering. And the first century church, as we're going to read about in a second, was gathered. It was a people that were gathered around the resurrection of Jesus Christ, believing that he is the Lord and the Messiah and the Savior of the world. 
And so this is the gathering, the ecclesia, the church. And somewhere along the lines, in about the year 300, they started translating it. People started using this term. I can't say it right. It's a German term called Kirche. And it doesn't mean the gathering. It starts to referring, referring to a building or a place. And so over time, whoever had the keys to the church controlled everyone. And before long, it was no longer about being a people. It was about gathering in a place. And so over time, what happens is, is our church, the reason why it's so hard to define, the reason why people don't want to get connected is because if we're just being honest, the church has made a really big deal about small issues. That the church is focused on what divides us rather than what unifies us. That for so long, the church has been defined by the things they're against rather than the things they're for. And I just want to say, not this church. That we're going to be defined by the things that we're for and focus on the things that unify us. Because the enemy's plan is destruction. And his strategy is division. I taught you that a couple weeks. And his tactic is offense, right? And so what he wants to do, not only in your marriage, but in this church, is he wants us to be divided and he wants us to live life isolated, believing we can be who God's called us to be apart from it. And it's a lie because Jesus says that the church is the hope of the world, like a city on a hill. And so I want to go to Acts chapter 2. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there with me. Last week we talked a little bit through Acts chapter 1 and how in verse 8 Jesus says that he's gonna, the Holy Spirit's going to come and they're going to be filled with power and that they're going to be his witnesses, say witnesses, be his witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and all Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so what happens next is that the Holy Spirit comes and it falls and the power of God is, fills the room and the, the foundations start to shake. And all of a sudden, on, on, on the Pente- on day of Pentecost, everybody's freaking out because all these people are now speaking in tongues. Now, before you freak out, I'm going to explain to you a little bit about this idea of tongues because here's the deal. This is one of those things that that has divided the church, that has created denominations. It's a, small, it's a small doctrine that a lot of us misinterpret or take out of context. How many know context is key? So what I want to do really quick is I just want to lean in, and let me just say this, though. I don't share this in any way to be divisive. I want to bring clarity where there's already division. And so I just want to, I want to, I want to say this. If you, if you disagree with what I'm about to tell you, like, that's okay. Don't let that cause you to be divided from his church. Because you and I, this is not a necessary core doctrine that you need to believe or get right in order to be saved. You, you need to believe that Jesus died for your sin, and it's by his grace and grace alone that you can be saved. Amen? So I just, want to, I just want to say that to you because this idea has gotten so kind of weird and all of that stuff. And so what happens is you read the story of Acts. In chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, that's a Jewish festival. And what happens over time is that every year, they celebrate this about 50 days after the resurrection. And all of the Jews from everywhere around that speak different languages, different backgrounds, they travel into the city of Jerusalem. Keep in mind, Jesus says, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem. So they travel in, and, and the Holy Spirit comes. And what they hear is people speaking in their own language. And they're like, man, are these people drunk? <laughs> And it says this, it says that 
In verse 6, when they heard this sound, they came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language. Say language. Being spoken, utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all of these who are speaking Galileans? See, that word tongues is translated from the word language. It, it is a specific language. It, it's not gibberish. It's not a private prayer language. It's not, I should have bought a Honda, not a Kia, okay? It's a, it's a gift that is given, not a skill to be learned. Let me say that again. It's a gift that's been given, not a skill to be learned. And the reason God through the Holy Spirit, gives them the ability of speaking in tongues, what he's doing is he's giving them the ability to speak the language of the people traveling in. And so now they can understand the gospel in their own language, and they're like, how is this possible? They don't speak my language. It would be like if I went to China, and trust me, I don't speak a lick of Mandarin. I barely speak American, whatever that is. And it was like if I was going over there to be on mission, and all of a sudden, I had the abilities to speak Mandarin so that my Chinese brother or sister can know Jesus. This is what it was for. It was for a specific purpose in order that they can hear the gospel. And so there's this big misinterpretation where this passage gets pulled out of context and people think that meaning that you have the Holy Spirit means you have the gift of speaking in tongues. It's not what the Bible teaches. It teaches that the Holy Spirit is deposited in you the moment you receive Jesus as Lord and Savior and you're justified before God, he deposits his spirit, his power in you. Why? So that you can be guided, so that you can be at peace, so that you can be, you, you can be a learner. He can teach you. He can interpret for you. And so just because you can't speak in tongues doesn't mean you don't have the Holy Spirit. Are you tracking with me? It's a gift just like every other gift is a gift. And so the reality is that not everybody has this gift because we aren't all designed the same. God has given us all different gifts, Romans 12 says. And they are always and only used to edify and build up the body of Christ. Does that make sense? And so this is what this is what's happening. And then they think that he's drunk. And so, so Peter stands up and he says, they're not drunk. Listen to what I'm telling you. It's only nine in the morning. Come on. Ain't nobody drunk at nine in the morning. Peter says, fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to a cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible. Say impossible. It was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Anybody thankful for that, that scripture? It was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. And God has raised this Jesus to life. And we are all witnesses of it. Exalted the right hand of God he has received from the Father, the promised Holy Spirit. And has poured out what you now see and hear. Therefore, let all of Israel... Be assured of this, that God has made this Jesus whom you've crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Peter's bold, isn't he? He's like, you killed him. And look at their response. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter, brother, what shall we do? Peter replies, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And I love this. It says, Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Isn't that amazing? So the church, in one moment, goes from about 120 followers to 3,000. 
it's the first mega church. Right? Like some of y'all are like, I don't like big church. I don't, I don't, I don't like all these people. It's like, well, you're going to hate heaven. Because there's about 3,000 people we know that are there, and I got a feeling there's going to be a lot more. So, so don't get caught up in the number of people because it's not about a building. It's about life change. It's about a community. And so how is it then? Does this first century church, how is it possible that with over 3,000 new people that are now joined into this collective gathering called the ecclesia, how is it then can they actually stay connected? How can they be a mega church with a mega vision? How can we be not a mega church, but a micro church with a mega vision? How can you and I be actually connected as we grow? Because how many of you know healthy things grow? And so what I want to teach you is I want to show you in this passage, what is it that defined the church? How did this happen? Like how... How was the church healthy? What were the things they were for? And what you're going to notice as we read this is you're not going to notice anything about what they're against. Because they were known for their love. They were known for their faith. They were known for their boldness around this man named Jesus. So Acts chapter 2, if you're with me, say yeah. In verse 42, here's what it says. It says they devoted, say devoted. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. I'm going to give you the C's of the church. The first C is this. It's another word for devoted. It's committed. That a healthy church, this first century church, one of the things from the very get that they say they're about and for is that they are committed. Committed to what? It says committed to the apostles' teaching. They were committed to being learners that they submitted themselves under the leadership God provided for them to learn how to walk out this life of faith in order to become more like Jesus. So they were committed to his teaching, and then it says to fellowship and the breaking of bread for another seed's purpose. Uh, They were committed to Chick-fil-A. Come on. The Lord's chicken. How many of you know if you get invited to eat with somebody, it's personal? Yeah? So if I invite you to Chick-fil-A, I actually want to get to know you. If I invite you to McDonald's, I don't. Right is, amen, hallelujah, the anointing of Chick-fil-A. So they committed themselves to the apostles' teaching and then to, to grubbing down on some Jesus chicken. And then it says they committed themselves to prayer. Why? Because without God, they have no power. And the same is true for our church. You can have lights, signs, parking teams, whatever. But apart from the power of God, the church is dead. He is the source. And there's never been a movement in the history of the world that didn't first start and wasn't bathed in prayer. Asking God to use us to point people to him and believe in that only he can save. You know that's not our job, right? Our job isn't to save people, it's to love people. And so God says that he's the author of life. He is the one who saves. I remember, <laughs> I remember when I uh, started recruiting people to... Um, to help us start this church. And I'll never forget, it was kind of one of those really funny defining moments for a couple of people as we talk about the idea of being committed. I asked them to come to my house, and they had never been to my house before, so they were excited, I guess, to come to the pastor's house, whatever, you know. And uh, I get there, and I'm, hey, hey, before we come in, come with me. And I take them around the side of the, my house, and I point down at the foundation. And I say, you see that? And they're like, what? I was like, isn't it pretty? And they're like, what are you talking about? Stop being weird. 
I was in it strong. Like, bro, what are you talking about right now? I was like, man, I'm talking about the foundation. They're like, what about it? I said, before you walk in my house and see everything in it and admire its beauty, you need to understand that there is no house without a foundation. And then what I'm asking you to do by helping us start this church is to help us lay a foundation brick by brick. And the problem with foundations is that they ain't sexy. Nobody oohs and ahs over a foundation of a home. But you got to have it. And so I just told them, I was like, listen, over the next couple of months, when you help us start this church, you need to understand people aren't going to think what you're doing is attractive or makes sense. But one day what's going to happen is there's going to be a room full of people that hear about the message of Jesus, that are connected, that find community, that discover their purpose. There's going to be kids down there most likely going to disturb the service because they're having fun, all because why? There were some committed people willing to build a foundation. And so the church was committed. Say committed. Verse 43, here's what it says. It says, Everyone was filled with awe in the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Let me give you the second C of the church. They were together. They were a community. They were a community. They were together. They had, they had things in common. And I love this picture because it's this idea of being together, of being connected as the, the light. But this is a picture of being yoked. In 2 Corinthians 6, Paul says, Don't be yoked together with unbelievers, for what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? This isn't just a a verse about marriage. This is a verse about relationship. And so he says that you and I are to be yoked together. Not yoke, okay? Not like the egg yoked, all right? Yoked. If you don't know what a yoke is, here's what a yoke is. So this is a a yoke. And, And these two big holes right here are used for the oxen to put their head through. And what would happen is, is that the oxen's usually weighed between somewhere between 1,500 and 3,000 pounds. So what that meant is, by themselves, they were able to pull up to the amount they weighed. So if they weighed 3,000 pounds, let's just give them the benefit of the doubt, they could pull up to 3,000 pounds individually. Now, basic math here, all right? If you got one oxen that can pull 3,000 pounds, and he's equally yoked with another oxen that can pull 3,000 pounds, 3,000 plus 3,000 is 6,000. Come on now. 6,000. It's this idea of being yoked. But what I love about this is that if you do some study, that one oxen has the potential to pull 3,000. The other oxen has the potential to pull 3,000. But when you yoke them together and they get on the same mission, they have the ability to pull 12,000 pounds. Why? Because we're stronger together. Let me show you what I'm talking about. My boy Chase in the room. You in here? Come on, Chase. Y'all give it up for my boy, Chase, Breeden. Let me just show you what this looks like in your life. Come on, man. Hurry up. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. So this is Chase. Here's the problem with a lot of us, right? This idea of being yoked up with the church, being yoked up in community. What a lot of us do is, is that we have our burden. We have our weight that we all have to carry. Do we not? Everybody in here has got the weight. Everybody in here has got the burden. And when you're not yoked, if there's nobody in the other neck hole, do you know what would happen if one oxen was in, was in the yoke and there wasn't a second one? Do you know how they would walk? They would walk in circles. Why? Because they weren't able to move forward. The weight they were carrying was too heavy of a load for them to carry. What I'm trying to get you to see is the reason why some of us continue to hurt and fail and find ourselves going back to the same old pattern is because we're walking in circles and we're not yoked up with other people. And so what happens is, is when I get yoked up 
with somebody else who has the same vision, the same faith, and the same values as I do, when I start to walk and we start to move forward, when I fail, because I will, when I fail, I can't go down. Why? Because I got somebody there that can hold me up. Amen? And so what happens sometimes is that the person that we're yoked up to, the person we're in relationship to, the person not connected to the right source will be stronger than them. And what happens is, is when we fall, we fall and they fall with us. Why? Because my weight brought him down. And so the benefit of being yoked up in a community is that when you fail, you have somebody else that's not going to leave you there. They're going to be able to help you back up. This is the church. Amen? Amen. Thank you, Chase. Appreciate you. Y'all can give it up for him. It's this idea of being yoked up in community together. Say stronger together. This is why we have groups. It's because you weren't made to go through life alone. Let me give you the, the next C. It says they, were, they sold property and possessions to give anyone who had need. They were compassionate. They were compassionate. That this church was not known for what they were against, but rather than the, who they were for. They were known for their love. John 13, 35 says, By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. If you just study how many times the New Testament alone commands you to love one another, like I lost count of like 89, okay? Why? Because life ain't about you. That if you're going to be who God's called you to be and do what he's called you to do, we got to learn to love one another. That the world will know that you are a follower of Jesus, not by the way you love yourself, but by the way you love other people. That when somebody has a need around you, you actually do something about it and you don't just walk by. This is why this, is why this week we decided to, to put our hands together and go and be the actual church and bring light into a dark situation where people feel like there is no way, but we have a God who makes a way. And so we're going to come and bring light and hope to a hopeless world. This is why we have a dream team. This is why when, when you pull in the parking lot, even though our parking lot is not, not very big, you have people that are ready to welcome you. Why? Because it's our way of letting you know we've thought about you. We know that you have needs, and we just want to make it difficult so you ain't stressed out and trying to hit your kid in the back seat <laughs> and find a parking spot. Right? We want to make it easy, and so you got to get plugged in. you got to understand that the church is compassionate. i got to keep moving. So let me just say this, though. The best way, if you just want to know, if you're new here, the best way to plug into our church is two ways. One, either join a dream team. That's simply our volunteers. That God has gifted you, not just for your sake, but for his sake, and he wants to use you to build his kingdom. Next week, I'm going to talk about different gifts and how in Acts chapter 3, we see some lame excuses when we talk about serving. And and so he uses the, the gifts. And so if you want to get involved, join a dream team, join a group. It's our way of helping you connect in community. Let me give you the fourth one. It's consistent. It says every day. Say every day. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. And so the first church was, they were devoted. They were committed to this community where they would have things in common and they were compassionate. And the reason why people wanted to be a part of it is because they were consistently together. It says that they met together daily, not weekly. That the gathering, that the church, isn't just about gathering on a Sunday. It's about us doing life together outside of this place. 
It was so attractive. They had something that they wanted. And so when they see their love for one another, they decided, I got to be a part of that. Why do you love one another that way? Why are you actually not living for yourself, but something greater? And that's the opportunity they had to witness. So we're talking about consistency. How many know consistency Consistency is the key to growth? Let me move on. Last one. It says this. It says, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. They were praising God. Here's the, here's the fifth C. They were crazy. They had crazy faith. These, these ordinary men, these unschooled people, these not theologians, just fishermen and farmers, tax collectors, this group of misfits, they were so committed to one another, so committed to loving people, so committed to showing up and being a learner and, and being willing to be taught the things to follow Jesus. They were so compassionate. And they had this crazy faith and belief that God somehow could use them to change the world. This is God's plan. It's crazy faith. And I just wonder if I have any people with some crazy faith in the house. No? Just me? I got any crazy faith people in the house? Thank you. I thought so. Let me just tell you a story as we close about crazy faith. I got a, an email from one of the people who called this place home that's family. Her name's Natasha. And her story is incredible. And so I'm just going to read the email to you today as we close. Here's what it says. It says, 2019 was a year I thought I would experience freedom. Freedom from my pain, freedom from my problems, freedom from my worries. My, how wrong was I? I spent 2019 running from God because I didn't want to allow myself to feel. I didn't want to feel his love. I didn't think I deserved it. I ran away from everything. I knew not knowing that I was dealing with a mental illness. So I moved to Gallatin looking to find myself. But what I found was much more. First, I found a doctor who noticed my anxiety and depression and provided me with the help I needed. Next, I found my family. But really, they came and found me. While on social media one day, I came across a video of a church. And this church was worshiping outside and baptizing people in this old school metal tub. And it instantly reminded me of John the Baptist baptizing Jesus. And I was in awe of the openness and the transparency of this church. So I instantly went and Googled it. Anybody thankful for Google? I am. I came across a YouTube video of Pastor Cody giving a sermon about God loving us too much to leave us where we are. And I instantly teared up. I felt like he was directly talking to me, even though the video was over a year old. I psyched myself up to attend that following Sunday, but the Sunday came and went, and I was too chicken to go. I followed the church's Facebook page and randomly received notifications. I received one about a Halloween party and figured, well, no pressure. Lots of people will be there. It was an amazing experience. I decided I would attend that Sunday, but it came and went. I was a no-show. I sat home that week listening to many of Cody's sermons on YouTube when I got the Facebook notification about Baptism Sunday. I instantly went online and signed up. Within 20 minutes, I received a text from the church from Stuart 
who wanted to welcome me and thank me for signing up for baptism. And he asked me a little bit about my backstory, admitted he didn't recognize my name from church, and I informed him I'd never attended, but I'd like to be baptized. Couldn't have been three minutes later I received a call from Cody. The next day, I woke up with the fear of God in me, got dressed, and walked out the door. I didn't tell my family what had planned because life, this life change I was about to make was for me. I was welcomed in the parking lot by a man that always smiles. He told me that we were going to be friends and how happy he was to meet me. I walked in and I cried the entire service. From the time I walked up the first church step through my baptism and in my car on the way home, I felt lighter afterwards. I know it's kind of cliche, but I felt as if chains had literally fallen off me. I went from a cucumber to a pickle. Come on. How many of you remember that message? If you don't know what I'm talking about, go back and listen to it. After all that, I started attending regularly. Eventually, my family joined me. Eventually, I started serving in the church on the dream team. My son saw me, and so he started serving in the church. On worship night, I asked him if he wanted to be baptized, and he told me no. And I was okay with that. It was his decision. But I forced him to stand beside me and hold my hand. He was mad. (laughs) But something inside me told me I needed to. So I told him to close his eyes and feel God. I must have been too focused on that myself because I never noticed him walk up and get in the baptistry. I was beyond excited. He must have felt something that moved him in that direction, and I couldn't be more proud to be his mom. Our story isn't over. God's not done with us just yet. Come on, anybody thankful? It's a crazy faith that somehow a Halloween event that's a day of the dead, that's a day of darkness, that somehow some crazy people would be crazy enough to throw a party and actually be the light on a dark day. That through a Facebook message, she would show up to a Halloween event where my boy Stu's playing marshmallow on 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 the DJ. People are dressed up like weirdos. And she shows up and felt loved through the power of media. She feels God speak to her and shows up. And I'll never forget it. She was sitting right there. No one was here. It was early. And she just cried and cried and cried. Last week, I had the honor and privilege to baptize her son. Why? Because mama had some crazy faith. Do you? I know it's not just me. Like God wants to use you and I broken, messed up, jacked up people. It's his plan for the world. That if we would just have some crazy faith, enough to believe that God could use us to go after the world, we would see the world changed. That this is the church, this is the light of the world, that because of some faithful believers who didn't get caught up in what they were against, but rather who they were for, that they decided they were going to be compassionate and consistent, and they were going to love people, and they were going to be together because of them. Today, we are that church. Somebody say, we are that church. So I just want to encourage you today to have crazy faith. And if you're not plugged in, to get plugged in. Because I believe the prophet Joel says that in the last days, God's going to call all men to himself. And I believe that God is going to have an awakening in this city. 
and he's going to use his church. He's going to use you and I to point people to him. Amen. Will you stand with me as we close? And today, if you are new to church, maybe you haven't been in a while, maybe you feel like God is distant from you. I want you to know that he's here, that he's now, he's here now. He wants a relationship with you. He wants to be yoked with you. He wants to be connected with you. And he wants you to know that this is a church where you can, you can be who he's called you to be and that you are welcome here, that this church is for anyone and everyone. And so right now, we just stretch your hands towards heaven as we pray this together. Father, thank you for your word. God, we thank you that you are good. We thank you that you are perfect, God. And we thank you that even though you saw us in our brokenness, you didn't leave us there. God, that you somehow want to use us is such an honor. That, God, we may be broken, but you say we're beautiful. God, help us be a light in the world. Help us shine brighter. Help us be stronger together. Help us connect with one another. Help us love people the way you've loved us. So, God, today we are committing to be the light of this world. If you're here today and you don't know the love and the grace of Jesus, and you haven't been forgiven for your sin, if you haven't accepted him in your life, right now I want to give you the opportunity to do that. So with every hand lifted, will everyone just say this out loud for the benefit of those who are coming to God or back to God? We just say this with me. Say, Father, we love you. We give you our life. We believe that you died on the cross, that you resurrected from the grave so that we can be forgiven and free. I give you my life. Today is my new beginning. In Jesus' name, everyone said amen. Hey, thank you guys so much for being here. Put your hands together. Thank you so much for listening to the message today. I hope it encouraged you. We would love the opportunity to pray for you. Send an email to info at renovation.church. And if you would like to partner with us financially and help us reach people with the message of Jesus, you can do so at renovation.church slash give. Have a great day.